Welcome to the Sal Vetri Show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the podcast and the YouTube channel. Sal Vetri here, and today we're going to be looking at a, a DFS strategy, daily fantasy sports strategy from a high level. Overall, I sat down with Matt Jajewski, and this was a couple of days ago. Um, really weeks ago, eh, week and a half. So it doesn't really matter when it was, but we sat down and we talked about a bunch of different topics. There's already shows up about bankroll management and contest selection for really all stakes that you're playing at probably appeals to a lot more of the mid to lower stakes players. But if you want to get an idea into how we play, how we deal with these topics, then you can check out this video right here in this podcast. You can follow Matt over on Twitter as well. His handle will be on the screen. I believe it's just Matt underscore Dudeski. If you're over on uh if you're over on the podcast version, that is G-A-J-E-W-S-K-I for his last name. You can follow him on YouTube as well. He's close to 1,000 subscribers, so be sure to go give him the follow over there. There's a ton of great content in terms of college basketball, college football, and some other areas as well, NFL, all that stuff. So without further ado, I want to get into this video. Hit the subscribe button here. Check out what's down below in the description, some free strategy guides, as well as uh, my Patreon if you want to check that out. But we're going to talk about ownership in daily fantasy sports, how you can leverage it, a bunch of different insights and ideas that we have about it. So enjoy the video. Let's get into it. For the final topic, at least of this little mini series part, I think the way that we'll do it is, is try and break it up based on these topics. But then we have a, a laundry list of, of things that we'll talk about. And then also like just people right now, whether you're watching on a YouTube format, if you want to drop in comments, Twitch, um, on the podcast, anywhere on Twitter as well, just let us know any topics that you're curious about. We'll be sure to hit on the ones that uh, definitely seem really interesting and valuable. And if a lot of people are, are also talking about them, but ownership's a biggie. Uh, it really does matter. And this is the third topic that we'll talk about. And why it matters is just that every piece of ownership in any type of game mode that you put onto a player is going to lower that person's upside relative to a player who has less ownership just because it's a situation where their overall expected value at that point, if they're going to be in more winning lineups and they're higher owned, it just drops down your equity. Um, and I'm sure that Matt can kind of describe it in a better way. The way that I'm just thinking about it in my head might not be coming out the same way, but pretty much ownership is going to matter. It's going to change your leverage depending on the sport that you play. NBA is, is just literally the definition of it is eating chalk and GPPs and, and pivoting in one or two spots. But some sports, it's, it's really going to matter. The more variant sports that is, um, what is your stance on ownership and how big is it in your uh, in really just setting your lineups and your process, I guess I can say. So ownership is important. And I think the best way to kind of describe this is through as an example. So if you're, you're playing like an NFL 150 max tournament with the huge prize pool up top and you know Lamar Jackson is going to be the most owned quarterback on the entire day when you roster Lamar Jackson say he's 40 percent owned you're competing with upwards of you know like 100,000 200,000 lineups that also have Lamar Jackson and how confident are you that you can pick the correct pieces around Lamar Jackson to end up besting the rest of the field whereas maybe if you take a guy like ryan Tannehill, who's going to come in at sub five percent owned maybe he doesn't hit that ceiling outcome as often or really often at all but on the day he does hit that outcome basically you're you know trying to pass a couple hundred people that maybe also have the ryan Tannehill lineup you can jam in some chalk around him and feel a lot more comfortable maybe getting to that upper percentile prize pool so it's just an example I think it's a volatile strategy, but it's definitely something you need to consider. And one thing I, I would like to bring up and get your take on, ownership, I think, sometimes can be a little overblown from the player perspective overall, like how owned is a certain player. And I think sometimes people lose sight of how owned their lineup is. Like, I don't think there's a huge need to jam in four or five 1% plays when you know you could potentially jam in one and have a unique lineup and still feel very comfortable on it. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I, I think so. It's almost weird. I er, earlier in the NFL season, 
I think I was criticized by multiple people in, in just like in comment sections and live chats for saying that ownership was overrated. But at the same time, I believe it's the most important thing in the current landscape of uh, NFL DFS, uh, if you're just trying to bink a tournament. Um, but what I mean by it, and I'll clarify, just being overrated is exactly what Matt was saying, like an individual player. If you have a, so when to eat chalk, if you can take out as much variability as possible. So NBA in general, there's there's not a lot. You can project that pretty often. So you can eat a lot of the chalk in those situations because you feel good about the value. Uh, taking out variability in terms of players' roles in different sports. So for the NFL, pass catching running backs have been for two to three, four years now starting just a dominant space and you don't really have to worry as much um, about variability there because they're usually going to come through because they have so many outs. So that's really when you can eat chalk in, in sort of a simple way. Um, and that's where just when it comes down to it, player ownership starts to not matter as much for me. Yes, there's always a cap of somebody being uh, 50% owned in an NFL game. Yeah, you'll start to look at them because there's usually other players around them that are going to generate a score more times than not pretty close to that at a lot lower ownership. But for the most part, yeah, like one or two players, I ran a, I think it was over the last summer, so almost a year ago now, just looking back on some of the tools uh, that you can just go back and look at lineups and you can play like three, four of the chalkiest players. And now this is not me advocating for that in most sports, like in the NFL is what I was looking at. You can play the four highest owned players a week. And this was salary cap also made in as well. So it's not like you're just playing the highest priced guys. It was some value plays and you're still going to have like a unique lineup when you put the fifth guy in there. It's just a matter of how many unique lineups you can make if you start making more. So if you're somebody who plays one lineup yet, yeah, for the most part, you can probably eat most of the chalk if they're good plays and just switch out one or two guys. Ownership starts becoming a lot more important on specific plays and your lineups, like Matt was saying, when you're playing 150 lineups and you can't bite the bullet of having 70 duplicated lineups in there because you're just giving away your money at that point. Yeah. I, you know, speaking to like cash versus GPPs, I think ownership does matter for both. And I think it matters in a completely different way. So for like a cash game in NFL, for example, when, you know, Michael Thomas has the highest median projection on the entire slate, he also is going to carry 70% ownership in cash games, double ups and, you know, any, any sort of cash game you might play. I'm more likely just going to eat that chalk and try to differentiate at maybe a play with a closer median projection somewhere down the line. Maybe, I don't know, like Christian Kirk versus Marquise Brown is just an example. Maybe those guys will, or like Christian Kirk will be like 40% on Marquise Brown will be like five. They have the same median projection. And, you know, you can differentiate that way without having to go off of Michael Thomas or something at the top. As far as tournaments, I do think bringing in a unique lineup is extremely important just so you don't bleed equity by, you know, potentially splitting a pot at the top. I mean, I can't think of anything worse. Like imagine splitting the Millie maker. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's absolutely brutal. It, it, it happened. I think it was the same exact week where, um, the Millie maker was split and not to get off topic, but it, it was the same exact week where somebody ended up getting jumped from the Millie maker because the last play of the last game of the NFL season, it was towards the end of the year this year. Um, a extra point was blocked and returned for two points. And that exact outcome was enough to make the players that were in second and third jump to first place. And the guy who was in first for the Millie Maker jumped to a pretty nice $40,000, but probably felt awful to him at that point. It, it was it was one of the wilder things that I've seen um, in terms of probably the worst beat that you can have uh, in terms of daily fantasy sports. Yeah, for sure. So kind of to circle back, I'm okay eating chalk, especially in cash games, if the projection's solid and I know he's going to be highly owned. I'd rather just differentiate elsewhere. And I'm okay eating some chalk in tournaments too, particularly if it's a cheap play that's going to be highly owned. And I know I can differentiate somewhere else but you know like ownership projections are particularly hard to find and this is something we wanted to get into is there a place you particularly find it i know osmo has awesome ownership projections rg has good ones too so if you're not comfortable doing this yourself which i think is a, a big thing i would just 
maybe try to outsource this part of your process and try to find it somewhere else because it's a, it's readily available for sports like NFL, NBA across the web. For the most part, across most of the sports, it'll depend on like the type of sport that I'm looking at. But I use like three to five sources for ownership um, when it comes to third parties. Awesome. I'll look at I'll look at for the golf scene a lot more. That's where I want to have ownership information for everything at this stage and how I play DFS. But when it comes into golf, I think it's probably one of the most important sports. So I look at fan share sports. They're creeping into some other areas as well for ownership, um, as well as Fantasy National. They also have a, a part of Fantasy National's tool where they're projecting ownership like some of these other sites do. But they're also looking at ownership in an aspect of the players on their site who they're currently starring and putting in player pools and at that point that's a paid for tool so you assume that it's a sharper playing field so i like having the access of maybe where just these bigger contests are going to be as well as where some of the higher stakes stuff ownership is going to go so just it's more information um if you're somebody who plays this as a hobby as an entertainment you could probably pick up through the cracks of some live stream some content where a lot of these guys are going to be owned you play more you get a sense in some sports who's going to be highly owned if you're playing this and you think you have an edge and you want to kind of exploit that edge yeah get as much information as you can i'm completely fine to, to purchase any of these tools they're, they're all going to be fine on the market i do have a question for you on as far as you know you said you didn't often 150 max but you said you did do it for sports like xfl and stuff i'm curious about ownership in your own personal player pool are you willing to go 100 on a specific player do you usually keep that capped at a certain amount i'm not sure if you're using optimizers or which optimizers you're using but that, that's definitely something I'm interested in. And maybe we can segue into something like randomness if you are using some of these optimizers and how you, you might be differentiating from the field on some of these plays. When it comes to just the 150 maxing, yeah, I'll use optimizers. I'll use a couple of different ones um, in the industry right now, depending just on the sport or if I just want to kind of backtest specific ones. Fantasy Crunch, I end up using a lot. Um, and when it comes to XFL, I probably I don't think there was a week where I went 100%. I went very high on the Sam Mobley week for people who didn't pay attention to XFL. He was just a very valuable wide receiver due to injuries and he was very cheaply priced. Um, but I'll probably I won't set caps, I'll say, but just the way that I kind of have some things run in there. I do use randomness. I'll set it for XFL at least at a just a flat percentage of around very low, like 5-10% at most. Um, but at that point, I usually have stricter player pools. So Although I won't get guys who are 100%, I'll get some higher-owned guys uh, in the XFL formats. In WNBA, you can get very close to 100%ing players on some nights because they're just the bigs in the WNBA. You can just lock in and feel good about it. So yeah, in the WNBA, I did 100%. NBA, the times that I do 150 max, there is definitely reasons to be 150 maxing based on injury news because you just get great value. So it's going to depend on the sport. Um, it's going to be a different answer. More times than not, I'll avoid 150 maxing, but the way that I or I'll avoid 100%ing players. Uh, just due to randomness. But uh, the way that I kind of counteract that is I'll build tighter player pools than most people. Like in the beginning of the day, an NBA slate, I'll have 60 players on an average size slate. I'll chop it down based on where I feel about value and specific plays to maybe 35 players at that point. And that's considered very tight. Uh, so I do that in most sports. And then I think it kind of just gets me over leveraged on a good amount of plays. And that's kind of the way that I play. I'll, I'll be over leveraged on a couple of plays a night. If they bust, it won't usually ruin my entire night. But if one or two of them have a great night, it puts me uh, in a spot that feels really good relative to having like an extra 10 to 15 guys that you're just balancing ownership with. Right. And a couple points on here I want to unpack a little bit. So specific player ownership within your player pool, I think it is okay to go 100% sports, sport specific, of course. I, again, I didn't play a ton of NBA this year, but in a sport like NFL I, or XFL for that, that matter, there's a, a couple slates where I would run, you know, like 150 stacks 
of a certain player. And to to speak to that a little bit, why you might like to do that, even though it's going to introduce more volatility into your scores week to week. You know, if you play Lamar Jackson and, uh, you know, you're hoping for maybe a top five percentile outcome out of Lamar Jackson and he's 20 percent owned in your player pool versus, you know, like 100 percent, you're just giving yourself that much less of a chance to reach a GPP winning score. So in the event that it does occur, having, you know, 150 Lamar Jackson stacks is going to be a lot better for you. You're going to cash a lot more lineups. However, that does introduce a ton of volatility to your lineups on a you know week-to-week basis. You might get completely zeroed out of a certain slate instead of cashing all your lineups. So it kind of speaks to that bankroll management. If you are going to play a strategy like that, I think it does require a, at least a, a little bit of bankroll management and the ability to kind of have your psyche in the right place where if you do completely take a zero, you know you have to be okay with that. But one other thing on the, the 150 with uh, the specific players, I think just like being the sport specific in the NBA, I imagine ownership, you know, you're going to get guys upwards of like 70%. In NFL, we, we rarely see that unless there's just like mega cheap RB chalk. And we didn't even really see that this year with DraftKings efficiently pricing the backups. What do you think about that being sports specific? Yeah, I think it's definitely sports specific. Um, it's interesting. Like I think we had the Jalen Samuels week where he popped off for ownership and more times than not, um, I'm just going to take a stance on it more times than not. And a lot of those times I'll end up getting over the field if it's a good situation. And that's when hundred percent starts to come into question as sort of like a, a, a case by case basis. But yeah, it definitely stands sports specific. I think the best thing that if you're not playing a ton of lineups, like you see a lot of the time when people talk about, oh, I'll get like 10% more. And I I'm I say it a lot too. I'll get like 25% of this guy. It's just sort of an estimation. Like I don't think a lot of people put specific caps on players. It, it kind of hurts the tool that you're using at that point to, to project lineups. But I think a lot of people just end up getting into that type of a mindset and then they go with it. But what you're looking for there is you're looking to just take stances. So if you're somebody who listening to this and a lot of people are play one to 10 lineups, your goal at that point is, okay, you found out or you hear and you have an idea that ownership on a player is going to be high that day. He's going to be 35%. It's then up to you to try and use the limited amount of resources, the amount of lineups that you have going in compared to the hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands that you're going to be facing to really take a stance at that point. So guys that are 35% owned, I'm rarely coming in at like 30% or 35 on the nose. Um, I'll either try and take an aggressive stance or over or under them uh, if I'm playing like just one to 10 lineups. If you're playing a ton of lineups, yeah, it's okay to come in right around it because that's probably where it balances out. But just a tip for a lot of like single entry users and, and just 10 lineup players, try and just take stances on ownership as much as you can because that's where you'll start to get at least more of your edge back compared to just having not a lot of edge overall with the amount of lineups you're playing into large field GPPs. One last thing I want to say on like going 100% on a player. I, I can't remember... I don't think I've ever gone 100% on like two players. If I go 100% on a player, you know, in NFL, it's usually a a QB. And then I'm rotating stacks around him and rotating ancillary plays. I, I can't tell you last, or maybe, maybe like one occasion I went like 150, uh, one QB wide receiver stack. And I, I don't even remember a specific example of this, but to kind of put a bow on this, it's not something where, you know, I'm saying go 100% on your, your running back, your number one receiver and your, you know, maybe your defense, I don't know, your tight end. That's not what I'm doing. If I'm doing it, it's a strategic play where I'm trying to get, you know, a specific correlation in there. I want Lamar Jackson with uh, like 75 Marquise Brown stacks, 75 Mark Andrews stacks, and that's how I'll approach it. It's not something where I'm just trying to jam in my highest projected plays each time. Yeah, I I think that's great. And I was just trying to think, I I was thinking of if I've ever had 100% of two in a lineup for 
150 maxing? And the answer is no. I, I'd say the closest that I've gotten is WNBA because especially two years ago, you can you can play cash lamps pretty much in GPPs and WNBA and, and you actually have live upside. I think that's going to change this year with just the nature of the content in the industry. But that's probably where it went for me. Before we sort of just shift topics and, and really close this show out, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a not, not even a hot take, just a breaking news alert. Um, have you seen DeAndre Hopkins was traded to the Cardinals for David Johnson and a 2021 second round pick? No, I did not see this. I I saw the report that DeAndre Hopkins was on the block this morning, and my first instinct was like, Mike, Houston needs to hire a GM. Like, what in the world are the Cardinals doing, or the, the Texans, excuse me, what in the world are the Texans doing right now, it, especially like trading David Johnson for him, that a, a running back on a super expensive deal who hasn't really played in the last years, at least effectively. Like, what in the world? Yeah, so... Yeah, it, it makes no sense. They ended up so they ended up acquiring a 2021. It's a a second and a fourth round pick. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it right now. I'm sure we're gonna have content on this in some regard, and at least a lot of people talking about this. But yeah, I mean, NFL free agency opens up in like what? Um, pretty sure eight, the 18th, and today's just all the taggings going on. So. Wow. Yeah. I saw the breaking news alert just come up on Twitter. I thought I mentioned it live, see what kind of reaction we have looking back on this. But yeah, I mean, obviously crazy, probably to me, the best wide receiver in the league, but um, pretty wild news in the NFL. But uh, yeah, just closing the door on ownership. That's sort of like the three part series of just this show, but there's likely to be more. I mean, I'm up for it as long as Matt is, but before we close it out, I just want to plug in to definitely check out and reach out to both of us on Twitter, on any of our platforms where you're listening or watching this right now, and just drop any of your questions in there. Um, it can be DFS related. It can be just uh, just the nature of content, at least on my side. And I'm sure bro- both of us would answer questions on that. And, and just let us, let us know where you're at with that. want to continue to just bring you this content as informative, but also entertaining as possible for all of you during this time. Um, before, uh, before I just let Matt go, I, I want to make sure that I can let him just plug any and all of the, the channel contents that he has, things that not only right now that you're going to be working on, Matt, but also just once all these sports come back, where can people find all of your, your work? I'm primarily on Roto-Grinders. I cover NFL, college football, and XFL over there. I do a little college basketball uh, stuff on my own. It's usually on my Twitch channel, which you can you can find over on my Twitter. It's at Matt underscore Gajeski, which hopefully you can just see on the screen here. That The last name, again, is, is kind of brutal, but... Working on all major sports in the offseason, we're just trying to come up with some nice evergreen DFS topics, create a conversation in the industry, trying to get better overall. But yeah, most of my stuff can be found at Roto Grinders. Sounds good. Yeah. And uh, depending on when you're listening to this, you can just follow me as well on Twitter at DFS. Also on the screen, just follow on either this this YouTube channel or the podcast if you want to hit the subscribe button. But yeah, we're going to have the, um, the just NFL free agency, the draft, they're probably going to end up doing it virtually at this point. Now we'll see what the plans are. Um, but we'll, we'll have content on that as well. I'll at least have some coming out. Maybe Matt and I can team up on that end as well once again. But yeah, I enjoyed doing this, man. This was pretty fun. I had a lot of fun too, man. It's something I've wanted to do for a while. So I'm glad uh, you were down for it. I was down for it. It's kind of the perfect storm. Uh, there's a lack of content right now. So it's the I have a plethora of time on my hand. So it is a nice time to just get sit down, actually take a look at some process results and try to get better. Yeah, we got the we got the first pilot of this out of the way. So uh, for people that are still listening right now, before we let you go, we, it took us about an hour, I think, to to get all the uh, the technical stuff between uh, just all of our background Skype, Zoom, all this stuff working out. But we should be good to go for future stuff. So um, yeah, just do you have anything else to to say before you go, Matt? No, thank you for for watching, for listening, and supporting the channel. Appreciate it a lot. 
Yeah, be sure to follow Matt on just Twitter. Be sure to follow him over on his Twitch, YouTube, and just watch all watch out for all the Roto Grinders content and anything else coming out. There's a lot of really cool breakdowns of at least uh, from what I've seen on Twitter. Just some of the the NFL films, some of these draft guys coming up big, big on that. So be sure to check out his stuff. Follow me along here as well. We'll have more content coming out. Appreciate you all tuning in. Stay safe out there and have a great, great rest of your day and rest of your week. See you, gang. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And before you go, if I can get you to subscribe and follow the podcast, download a few if you wish. But if you enjoyed this podcast, if you can please subscribe, helps me out, helps support it. So thank you so much. And I will see you in the next one.